the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 3. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Good morning, Tammy. How are you? I'm really good today. Good. I had a big weekend, had a fun weekend at our friend Natalie's wedding and just kind of enjoyed all of her joy. It kind of was infectious. It was great. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. That's amazing. Your, was it your first sober wedding? Mm-hmm. It was, it was, it was, yeah. and I was a little, tiny bit nervous, you know, just cause you, I get that way. I don't know if you get that way, but well, you associate weddings with drinking. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. you know, at, at least a person that's just a, a person that attends weddings. I had a little distance from weddings because I work at a lot of weddings where I'm not drinking at the wedding. And so um, I'm fairly used to being being around alcohol at weddings and not drinking it. But um, but yeah, being a guest at a wedding would be a totally different thing, especially if it's a little out of town. So you sort of feel like you're on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, it was a destination wedding. And it was, um, you know, the bride was sober. So that was just awesome. So I already knew that you know, that component that she was super sensitive to it. And it did bring back a lot of memories of my own wedding. Mm-hmm. I bet. Which, you know, I could have got kind of sad about that because, you know, I was just thinking like what I didn't remember or oh, yeah. how the evening ended. And, oh, yeah. Um, so it was nice to have, you know, I had another friend there, one of our friends um, that was sober as well. So it was nice to kind of stick together and talk and, and they got me out there dancing. I'm like, Oh, I don't, I haven't really danced Yeah, I was going to, that was going to be my next question. How was sober dancing? Um, a little awkward at first. I'm like, I don't, yeah, I kind of, you know, I used to be a really good dancer, um, late at night. Right. (laughs) After a few drinks, I was the best dancer, but I love dancing. And so at first I was like, no, 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 really want to dance uh, it's going to be hard so I went and sat on the bench and then like the music was just so good it was calling the inner um, dancer in me to come out yeah and, yeah and I had yeah. on like gold glittery shoes so it was like I had to dance it was they were beckoning me out there oh so. for sure I have not gone dancing since uh, I've been sober which is really kind of sad I guess <laughs> although I I, I, you know, every time I think about it, I think, oh, but that would be after 10 o'clock. I don't <laughs> right. know if I could do that. Yeah. But I do dance around my house a lot. And, um, and almost to the point where I kind of think, you know, I could do this if I had to, you know, <laughs> if I had to be out in public dancing. I think I could pull it off. My, I was very famous for falling down because I'm not super coordinated oh. anyway. Yeah, anyway. And so I was... I was, um, yeah, I would often fall and really look mm-hmm. <laughs> incredibly r- ridiculous. And what's funny too is that I probably would 
continue to fall in sobriety, but that's okay. I <laughs> get right. that. You'd remember it. <laughs> You'd remember how you got that bruise instead of doing the morning after, like how connecting the bruise dots. How did uh-huh. I get this one? Where's my purse? Um, yeah. So it was really nice. She had a whole big ice chest full of um, La Croix and it was just available. I told my son and my husband, like, I'm going to need, you know, I was in these really high heels and it was like gravel and it could, to get to where the, the drinks were, it was going to be, um, I could have fallen. And so I was like, um, if I just, you know, let you know that I need this, can you guys grab me one? Because I'm a little nervous and anxious. And shoes. They were so great. They were awesome. And, you know, there was plenty of tea and coffee and water and it was just, she was really, really thoughtful. Um, with that part of it. I love it. it Yeah. It was great. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful weekend. Super. um, Natalie, I know she wouldn't get embarrassed if I said this, but sometimes she thinks she's not creative. You know, we've had these conversations and after seeing her wedding and what she put together and how she put together everything and the color palette and the table. Oh, I can only imagine. Everything was so well Mm -hmm. thought out and so beautifully tied Mm -hmm. together. The color pathways of what everybody was wearing to, her invitations to the tables and the everything was. Um, I could beautiful. see her being really good at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, she seems like the kind of person who would be like a if she needed ever needed a second career, she would be a great event planner. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah, no, she yeah. she has a talent for that, and um, and re- yeah, just really good at it. So so it was a good it was a good weekend. That's. You? That's amazing. Mine wasn't that exciting. I don't really even need to talk about it. It wasn't that exciting. I'll save the one exciting piece for um, when we talk about our three things in our okay. in our recovery toolbox at the end. Okay. I'll save the, the most exciting thing wait. that happened to me this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, today I, we're turning the tables, and I am going to interview you. So, right. are you ready? I'm way ready. Okay, so, you know, I think I kind of know this, although we haven't always talked about our childhoods, um, but where did you grow up? I grew up in a little suburb in Southern California called Alta Loma, and I grew up there between, there's two towns, one was called Rancho Cucamonga, which I think there's a joke about that, like, yes, there really is a Rancho Cucamonga, um, I grew up in between those two towns. We moved back and forth um, to those two towns. So it's in Southern. Okay. I would have to actually Google map that to even know where on earth it is. But um, yeah, you would fly into um, Ontario Airport. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know where Ontario is. And um, I guess what would be near that you might have heard of is maybe it's in San Bernardino County. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is that, that county the, sounds familiar. Yeah, which is on the outskirts of LA County, so mm-hmm. kind of that area down there. Right, pretty yeah. south. Yeah. How far away are you? Would how far away would you be from like Baja? Hmm. I've never been to Baja. Oh, okay. So pretty mm-hmm. far then. No, I mean, I think to get to Mexico to go to like um, across the border down in San Diego, it was like a couple of hours. That okay. was a couple hours south, yeah. All right. All Although right. we were discouraged from ever going there as high schoolers, like, don't go there. You're never going to come back, you know. Although really? My dad we'll have scared to, the heck out of me, but yes. We'll have to have whole, a whole podcast about this because I am about five hours from the Mexican border, and we went a lot. 
um, especially uh, in college, because you could buy drugs there. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, the drinking, right? That's why I... And we, and we yeah. could drink there. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I was too fearful. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was yeah. afraid. Um, we can get to that later. But <laughs> that influenced a lot of why I didn't do certain things when I was younger. I was, well, I was very you know, afraid. Could have saved you from, mm-hmm. from a couple of bruises, <laughs> mystery bruises. That's right. <laughs> Um, well, did you, did you have a creative childhood? Did you feel like your household, you know, was a house that nurtured creativity? Um, I don't, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Although my father was very creative and and he would build brick walls and he would do all the landscaping and he built us a pool once. So, I mean, that kind of creativity, um, but no, in terms of what's been inside of me my whole life. I, I, I think when I was younger, I tried uh, my hand at poetry and drawing. Um, I wanted to sing, but those were never fostered. They were never encouraged. Um, and I thought of this funny story. I'm sure my mom will not be listening to this, so I can say it. Um, <laughs> and when I used to draw things that I was really proud of, I would say I was in I was fifth or sixth grade. Um, she would say, honey, that's so beautiful. You should hang that up on the inside of your closet. And the reason she wanted it. <laughs> mm-hmm. ins- was she an interior decorator? Did she like that the way? That was her forte, yeah. Mm-hmm. She didn't want yeah. to mess up her, her home. Right. She didn't want to mess it up. <laughs> right. And so me right. and my sister tease her about this now, but like, yeah, that's, that's where funny. all of my creative <laughs> things were taped on the inside of my closet, which I really didn't think was weird at the time. I kind of felt like no, it was you my didn't own little space. It. I'm like, yeah. this is awesome. This is where I put my private cool things, you know. Right. Um, but that also, I mean, you can see that just led to that. Um, it's a little stifling. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so not so encouraged. No. Yeah. No. And uh and even like trying to sing or be a singer, I really wanted to be, you know, we've talked about this a little bit about oh, Pat Benatar. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. wanted to be her and I was going to be her in the fifth grade talent show. And this is all kind of when I think it switched. And um, my band got suspended for taking pictures of a tour guide's butt when we went to Sacramento. So the whole, the guys in the band got suspended. So on the talent show night, I had no band and I could oh. not sing or lip sync to, no, I think it was singing. I don't know. It might have been the music underneath, but hit me with your best shot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I never tried to sing again after that in public. I never, Aww. yeah, I just, okay. it left me. Our dreams <laughs> completely squashed. It was over after that. And they weren't encouraged, like I said, but I don't think it's because my parents were, you know, purposely trying to do they that. They weren't actively no. trying to, yeah. It just, yeah, it just wasn't. Creativity. Right. It just wasn't yeah. a thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so what kind of a student were you? Were you a more serious student? Did you, you know, were you a doodler, daydreamer student? No, I was a total teacher's pet. I was a perfectionist-driven straight A, just wanted to get the gold star. And I kind of still am. Um, (laughs) With a little doodling on the side now. But no, for for the bulk of my... um, but for the bulk of my schooling, I'd say until I was about a junior, that was my MO, was to get 100%. Oh, 
Oh, wow. And when I, around the time I was a junior, a lot of my classmates got to get into, got to get into, excuse me, um, were in honors classes, moved up to these honors classes, and they were on a college track. And both of my parents didn't go to college, and that was not a track that we even talked about in my household. And so around that time is when I kind of split off and became a little bit um, different. I started working at a law firm, Mm -hmm. and I figured out, I could work at a law firm and not have to work fast food and not have to work a week on weekends and not have to work nights if I worked a day job. So mm. I worked every day after school in my junior and senior year from like one to five at oh, a wow. law firm. Yeah. You were really driven. So is that why you, you didn't go to college straight out of high school? You yeah, I did go to college. skipped over that route? No, I, I went to college straight out of high school for a year. You did? Yeah. Yeah. And then I didn't do well. I got my first ever D in my life and I couldn't believe it crushed me. It, it, it stopped me. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this. I'm going to drop out. So I did one year. I got that D and I thought, well, what can I do? What else can I do? And so I started working at the law firm full time and, and that's what I did. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I've never known that part. Yeah. Well, um, so 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 there was no creativity that was like bubbling up at that time. You were you a do you, were you a diary keeper or a journaler? No, no, no. I didn't do any of that. What where I kind of um, where my creativity kind of came and went. In my early 20s, I became really super crafty. And so I would, oh, I remember these straw wreaths I used to make with these fabric. So, yeah, it was more of like a Michael's craft store. Um, mm-hmm. that's DIY kind, of, kind yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, and I would do things like that. And uh, when I was married the first time, I was 23. And that's when I really got into it. I was making curtains. I was making quilts. My um, in-laws were big quilt makers. Um, not the fabric squares that are very artistic, but just kind of um, flannel quilts. And mm-hmm. um, and I would work and I was would do those with them. And I really, really loved and wanted to channel Martha Stewart. Like she was mm-hmm. my idol. Even when, mm-hmm. even when she went to jail, I loved, I mm-hmm. loved when she walked out with that shawl on. I thought, oh, that woman is just <laughs> <laughs> owned her stuff, went to jail, Martha Stewart, you know, like it made me love her even more. Um, mm-hmm. And that turned me into more of an entertainer and setting a beautiful table and menus and all the pretty right. things that went with it. That's kind of how I kind of channeled it um, in my early 20s. Um, right. So, yeah, it wasn't in like I was drawing or painting or doing any anything like that. Right. Yeah. Right. But you were, you could throw a good dinner party and okay. <laughs> yeah, which would get, me into a lot, <laughs> would get me into a lot of trouble in the end. But, um, when I was younger, I didn't, you know, I didn't drink that much. So it didn't, that wasn't, that wasn't present back then. Well, so, so tell me about that. I know that you had some religious leanings in your childhood, mm-hmm. similar to my different, different, um, religion uh that you know occupied our lives but um tell me about tell me about that did that is that the thing that like deterred your drinking 
Yeah, well, like I said, I was kind later. Of, I was my parents. So we've never had alcohol in our house at all. I remember having one beer in our refrigerator when I was in high school. That was there for like years. My parents didn't drink, and they didn't, and they didn't not drink because they had a problem. They just didn't drink. They, yeah, mine didn't either. It wasn't. It wasn't part of our lives. My my dad was an iron worker, so he worked around a lot of people that did drugs and drank a lot. They made a good wage and they made a good living and they would go drink after work. My dad never, ever, ever did his, mm-hmm. his, um, his job was to come home to us and bring a full paycheck and to make our house beautiful. And so there was alcohol was not a component. My mom, the first time I saw my mom drunk, I was like 16 and it scared mm. the heck out of me. I didn't know what was wrong with her. I had right. no, it scared me. And I'm like, what's a kamikaze? I don't even know what she's saying that she had to drink. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. So that kind of world was, was, I didn't understand it at all. Um, but back to your question about the religious leanings, I was baptized Catholic when I was born and never went to church, but I always wanted to go to church. I always had a, um, you kind of longed for that community yeah, or, did, or the, the spiritual part of it or I think it was the both. community. I mean, I can kind of see that now it was the community that I wanted mm-hmm. that, I, that I had right. a desire, but I couldn't kind of piece that together until I was older, until I had, you know, got baptized a few times that I, um, that I put that together. So I accidentally, um, got baptized when I was, I don't know, 11, maybe. I went to church with a friend and raised my hand and went with this group. I didn't know what was happening. Right. Got these awesome gold coins and um, they dunked me under in this pulpit Mm -hmm. in front of like hundreds of people. My parents had no idea. I'd gone with this friend. I -hmm. came home with like wet hair and I'm like skipping and I'm like, got my gold coins and I got a cool certificate and I love paper. So I love this. And my mom was like, what in the heck happened to you? Mm -hmm. I got baptized. She was so mad. Mm-hmm. She was furious. And I, I understand, like, if Grady came home, my son, and he, he got baptized, right. I would, I would right. not be too Without pleased. consulting you at all. Yeah, yeah. But I can put piece it together now that I was seeking something. Um, mm-hmm. That may have been accidentally that I raised my hand, but I wanted to be part of that. Yes, ma- yeah, sign me up. And then as I got older, I uh, got baptized Mormon when I was 19. And I wanted connection. I wanted a community. I wanted to go to um, Relief Society. It's a society of women in the Mormon church that they meet for an hour every Sunday. They talk about homemaking and all of that stuff interested me. I wanted, I wanted to be part of that. Mm. And um, so, yeah, I think, I think definitely I was just a seeker. And eventually that all fell away. But the not drinking part when I was Mormon, I mean, the night I got baptized, Sandra, I, I just thought about this the other day. I went to a bar that night. Oh, I was 19. We went to the baptism. I was really serious. I wasn't going to drink. I didn't drink. And my parents left, my grandma left, and I wanted to go dancing with my friends. And so I went to a bar (laughs) Mm. and it's slowly hanging around people. I thought I can accept everyone that I don't, I can't judge them. I'm just going to live my life. Right. And I'm not going to drink. They can do whatever they want. I thought I was being really kind of accepting, um, but it, that would slowly erode. Like who I hung out with would erode who I was. And my, mm-hmm. my dad used to have this saying growing up, like, um, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you who you are. Oh, yeah. 
that. And that, that, that started to be, you know, of course I fought that and didn't think that was true at all and how mean he was, but that was true. That was true. And that's when I started dating, you know, a guy that was dealing drugs and, and I started hanging out and thinking, well, that's their thing. That has nothing to do with me, but it had, it had a lot to do with who I was hanging out with. And that was kind of the beginning of me. Um, a few years later after that baptism is when I started drinking when I was 21. Okay. So yeah. you, but that was going, uh, Mormons don't drink, right? That, so that was kind of going against yeah. th- the church that you had joined. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I think I felt like, again, like I thought, well, I'm not harming anybody else. I'm making my own decisions. Um, it didn't scare me. It didn't, um, I mostly was, was not drinking, but occasionally I would, but that was the right. gateway. That was kind of the beginning of, of kind of going into it and, and, mm-hmm. and, and kind of opening up that way, I guess, that way of life that I would later embrace. <laughs> so <clears throat> when did you first drink to get drunk though? Was that yeah, the, around that time? The first time I drank to get drunk was the first time I drank. Okay. The right. first, so the first time I drank, I was, I graduated from high school and I got drunk and I came home and my dad was up waiting for me and he knew I was drunk and I promised my parents that I would not drink again until I was 21. Mm-hmm. And I kept that promise. Oh, wow. I lived out on my own. I had my apartment. I lived with a roommate who drank Jack and Diet Coke every single night and she would offer me drinks and I would say, oh no, I can't. I'm not 21. And she's like, well... You live on your own. You support, wow. you support yourself. And I'm like, no. You are a rule follower, aren't you? <laughs> I am. But the second time I drank, I drank to a blackout. Right. So I didn't learn how to drink, right? I learned right. how to blackout, right. <laughs> how, to, how to drink to excess. I didn't have yeah. zero moderation yeah. ever. I, I- with you I honestly didn't know that there was another way to drink I thought mm-hmm. you you when you drank you drank to get drunk and right. you drank to black out and everybody blacked out yeah yeah <laughs> it I, wasn't really until like Sarah Heppel's book that I was like oh wait yeah really not everybody blacks out huh Sarah Heppel's book was the one that got me into the rooms we can talk about this another time but just that when I read her book she told my story Mm-hmm. Oh, there was lots of lots of my story in that book as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Minus the mothering part, but yeah, 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 there was lots of lots of lots of my story there. I thought blackout was pass out too. You know, I thought I thought that oh, just yeah, that you that. passed out. But yeah. when she gives that definition of like I think it's your hippocampus shuts down and that you just repeat and that you're awake, that was me. That was uh-huh. me. Um and operating oh, and people didn't know people didn't know except my eyes and mm. only pe- people would tell me this if I looked in the mirror I couldn't see it but my I would get crazy eyes crazy mm-hmm. eyes <laughs> like on orange is the new black that's gonna be your new nickname okay crazy eyes <laughs> like, I think I have an eye that already sort of looks like they both don't point the same way anyway naturally Mm-hmm. But one of them will get really, it'll start drifting off mm-hmm. to one side. And um, and not, not to make this about me, but I'll just say really <laughs> quickly, the older I got, so the longer I drank, the quicker, you know, I would get to that, to crazy eyes. And it would only take like 
you know, a glass, maybe two glasses of wine before I get to crazy eyes. So when I thought I was being super sneaky, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I wasn't so much. No. no, they're like, ding, 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 ding. We know what's going on with Sandra. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, me too. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, that, um, so when did it start getting when did it start getting ugly? Uh, or where when did it yeah. start when did you start feeling like you know self-conscious about it or questioning your actions or questioning yourself? When did when did that happen? Well, there was a couple of kind of markers that I would looking again, only with hindsight can I see some of this stuff now. True. Right? So you're looking yeah. back and going, "Oh, that was a marker." But at the time mm-hmm. I didn't know it, but when I got divorced from my first husband in 1997, that was a definite marker. I'd been a good girl. I'd been going to church. I, he had um, he had a DUI, so he never drove. I always drove everywhere, so I was always not drinking. And we went dancing a lot, two-stepping and going to the country bars. And I just didn't drink. It didn't. It wasn't an obsession then. It wasn't something that I had to do. You know, I was like, my gateway was like the white Zinfandel box wine at home where I'd have a little bit. But every once in a while, that would go too far. But when I got divorced, I kind of like, it was on. No one's going to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that anybody even really did, but I just had that feeling and I moved back. Well, you some responsibilities had yeah. had gone away and yeah, you and didn't this feel. new woman. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I thought. And I started drinking a lot imparting um in the in those years following uh my divorce i did meet my husband during those years i met him at a bar i didn't remember what he looked like i'm sad to say uh and he was gonna fly down and meet me the next weekend to go to the long beach grand prix something by the way that i've never gone to before and never been to since but i had these tickets and he flew down. And when he flew down, I thought, I told my best friend, I was like, I don't remember what he looked like. Right. You didn't know who you were meeting at the airport? No. <laughs> no. Oh, my God. And you couldn't exactly say. Um, I asked him uh, what he would be wearing. I'm like, so what are you, yeah. you going to be wearing? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be wearing. And he knew what I was asking because he knew I was buzzed when he met me. But I'd yeah. gone home that night and my best friend was like, I said, this guy wants to come out next weekend. And he seemed really nice, what I can recall. And she said, uh, what do you have to lose? You've been dating all these other losers. I mean, he's going to fly down. Like, yeah, call him. Tell him that you'll do it. So I, we did talk that week, you know. And when he came down, he was wearing a leather. As soon as he got off the plane, I knew it was him. Mm-hmm. I remembered. Um, but that's how it started. And that's kind of the phase I was in when he met me. And because we dated long distance, Every time we saw each other, which was twice a month, one time I'd fly up, one time he'd fly down. Um, he was in Northern California. I was in Southern. And it would just be a party, mm. you know, and not, and just drinking and fun and by the pool and going to concerts and going right. away for the weekend. And, you know, he doesn't drink alcoholically, so he was just having a nice time. But I right. was uh, drinking um, a lot. So those... Um, that was a big time, my post-divorse. Uh, when I bought a wine bar in 2002, mm-hmm. <laughs> that was another marker of my drinking changing, which um, we'll probably get into another time. But that was significant to change. I didn't really drink wine. So to buy a wine bar, 
I had to become a quote unquote connoisseur and an expert. And I did all of these things in the name of research. Um, and then I think the next marker was after I had my son, mm-hmm. I had postpartum depression. I didn't not, I did not want to be a mom and that's kind of not very cool to say out loud sometimes. And I think because I couldn't say it out loud back then, I just stuffed mm-hmm. it down and drank and mm-hmm. created book clubs to go to, to drink with my lady friends and created other things to go to outside of my work environment. So I drank all day, but then I created these other things like book club or girls night out so that right. I could drink. Everything involved. Everything. Everything involved alcohol. Yeah. yeah. So after, sure. that was a big change and shift. And then I think the worst of it for me, when you say ugly, the ugly part makes me think of the year before I quit drinking. So I would say all of 2014. That was my leading up to me figuring out that I needed to quit. Mm-hmm. And and I know that right around that time you started journaling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before you quit drinking, you started yeah. journaling, right? Yeah, uh, I had been following uh, Lisa Congdon, an artist that I very much admire. And she would do these daily projects or she would assign herself projects. And so she did this like drawing a day or she did hand lettering a day for a year. So January 1st of 2014, I bought a journal. I sat down at my kitchen table. I looked at it not too long ago. And the first entry is I wrote the word acceptance. And I find that and I just kind of used some color pencils or something. And I thought I'm going to draw on this thing every single day this year, everything not everything, every day before I had coffee or while I was having coffee, while I had a hangover. I mean, I would sit there. So she inspired you to try that, just get pens and a a journal and just start. She inspired me. And then Austin Kleon's book, um, Steal Like an Artist, inspired me. And Mm -hmm. I thought, I can just sit down and try to make something and Mm -hmm. get this out of me. Something was calling me to, to make or to write, or to create. You had a little itch. Mm-hmm. I totally. And, and you had been blogging. I'm going now. I'm mm-hmm. jumping around, but yeah. you had you had already started blogging, correct? Yeah, I started blogging in 2007. Okay. And that was, uh, but it had nothing to do with sobriety or my drinking. I kind of stuffed that down really deep, <laughs> but it served as a vehicle for me to write and be creative and yeah, to do photography. Yeah. yeah, and try to learn how to do all of that stuff because um, I'm not super tech savvy. So to make a collage of a picture sometimes would take me hours. And I would do that when I was up in the middle of the night, you know, mm. um, from from waking up after a night of drinking, I would wake up around 2.20 like every night. And yeah, we have the same, we <laughs> had the same alarm clock. <laughs> and then I would, I would write and beat myself up or beat myself up for a little bit longer and then think about writing. And eventually by the time the sun would rise, I would have written something or put something together. And, and so that was, yeah, that was the beginning of the, um, creative process for me. I think to, I wanted, I wanted a proof of life. That's how I always explain it. I think I wanted to to see, uh, something good in my life. Well, uh, which to others, they look at me and thought, well, you have a, really handsome husband and you have a nice beautiful child and he's healthy and you have a home but and you had the wine bar you had yeah, a business that you were running great. and it looked pretty fabulous yeah and it wasn't it wasn't yeah. on the inside not at all 
And so those mornings that I would spend writing or creating or, you know, chastising myself, those mornings were all necessary to get me to that year of 2014 when I started drawing every morning. And slowly over the year, like that was meditation. That was a way to think about my drinking. Right, right. Because you were almost forced to examine, if not your drinking, at least how you felt in that moment every Mm -hmm. morning, which is usually, Mm -hmm. I I don't know, I would always felt pretty, you know, horrible. Yeah. No, it was the worst and the best, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It was the worst feeling, but it was the best feeling sitting there with those pens and the paper and my coffee. Sometimes I'd paint with beet juice if I was having beet juice that morning, or I'd paint with my coffee if I needed, when I didn't have any paints. I just, I just forced myself to sit there every morning and make some type of mark. So when I go back and look at that um, sketchbook or journal, or I, I look at it and I just kind of laugh because I can remember all those mornings and not laugh like, I, that sounds silly, like that I would look at that pain, but I can laugh because I can see that it can change. Like I, I'm so proud of myself. I'm so happy mm-hmm. that I at least began. Right. I started something and I finished it. I'd mm-hmm. never done that. Or not that I'd never, I hadn't done that in so long that I'd forgotten what it was mm-hmm. like, you know, to keep a promise to right. myself. Cause I didn't keep promises very well to anybody when I was drinking. It was all kind oh, of ish. No. <laughs> um, I oh, might show God. up or I'd forget what I promised. So it's the so... biggest flake. <laughs> right. I still work on that. But yeah, it's that's that's an undoing for sure. But yes, such a flake. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And mostly to myself, but to, you know, other yeah. people as well. Yeah. So that 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 365 days where I did that, when I got to the end, I knew something was going to change. You so you knew. So you mm-hmm. think did you have a true surrender moment like a you know bathroom floor moment? Uh Or did you sort of ease into it? There was a dinner party I threw a couple nights before my last drink. So because, you know, you have a rip-roaring party and then you don't drink for a whole, like, eight hours the next day. And then you're like, okay, I'm right. back. Um, that party, even though it wasn't the worst that it had ever been, mm-hmm. I I got in a fight with my husband that evening, which is what kind of how most evenings ended when I drank, over something stupid or misunderstanding or me just, you know, not being together. And I wanted to remember what our fight was about. So I went and grabbed my notebook next to my bed. So that I could continue to be mad the next day. I jotted this down. Oh, right. So you could stay Mm -hmm. with your point. (laughs) Because you know how it is at the end. Like, I don't even remember why. You wake up the next morning and you're like piecing your day together or your night together. Oh, yeah. How did it end? Uh Uh, Where's my phone? Uh What did I say? Did Sarah Heppola call it? um, Just keep talking about Sarah Heppola. but uh, I love her. CSI. (laughs) Didn't she call it CSI hangover or something? So funny. (laughs) That's exactly what it was. And so so after that party, Sandra, I I woke up the next day. I went out into the kitchen. I had my journal with me. And I opened it up. And it was just like gibberish. Right. It was like crazy writing. Right. Like that point is what? Yeah. And I just read that. And uh, 
were you a little sad for that person? I'm sad for her right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just... God. So that was like, I think it wasn't on the bathroom floor, but it was that moment like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? What is happening to you? Who is this person? Yeah. yeah. And then a couple of days later on February 3rd, I had my physical because I had all these physical problems going on with me and um, <laughs> that were caused by drinking, but we couldn't figure out what they were for mm-hmm. years. Me and my doctor could just not figure them out because I wasn't telling the truth. So when right. I sat there, my bathroom moment, I think was filling out that, that doctor intake form mm-hmm. and writing the truth of how many drinks I had in a week. Mm-hmm. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, was not the truth because <laughs> I thought it was ever told the truth on those right? forms. Who? No. So I wrote 21 drinks in a week because I had three Manhattan martinis every single night for sure. But they were doubles or triples. They were doubles. Yeah. So there was 40. So when you say that out loud or when you write that down on a paper, so I only wrote 21. But after that, when I thought about it, it was 42. And then mm-hmm. probably more than that, to be honest, because I'm sure there was right. a glass of wine thrown in beforehand, and maybe we ran out of something, so I had some port. Yeah, and it that made me sick. That just even saying that now, can you imagine having? I mean, that much bourbon in a week. But the thing is, Ugh. you didn't always drink that way. No. That's the point. No, no, no. I always try to make mm. when anybody asks me, you know especially people that aren't, aren't sober and they're curious. It's like, it wasn't always that, was that the way. End. The end. Yeah. That but it progresses to that. Yeah. So, so it's so slippery and it's, it's can so quickly progress to that. Well, what I want to say too, because I think my doctor, I go see her now every year on my one year and I went on mm-hmm. my two, and when I went on my two year to go see her and thank her, um, she, she was shocked by that number. I could tell by the look on her face mm-hmm. and she kind of had to recalibrate and she was like, okay, so what do you think of an elimination diet? Like, what do you think? And I'm like, what? I don't even know what that is. She's like, well, it's where we eliminate some things, you know, alcohol, sugar, dairy, and gluten. Right. She kind of threw it in with other things mm-hmm. that could possibly be bad for you and affecting your health. Yeah. And then she said, do you, would you be agreeable to starting with alcohol first? And I was, sure. Okay. I mean, I like a challenge, right? I want to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. I want to please her and I want a gold star. So yeah, I'll start with the alcohol first. Not thinking about <laughs> how that was really going to feel. Right. She so, was pretty sneaky about it yeah. too. She, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, then we'll go to gluten. And then, then we'll go. So I only got as far as alcohol and gluten because I was, I realized how dependent I was on alcohol once I started right. this thing. And so that was on a Tuesday. And then Thursday I went to book club, which I, where I usually just drank like a fish. So Mm -hmm. I went to book club and as I sat there, I had a decision to make. Am I going to really do this thing that the doctor recommended? Cause I've gone two whole days. Am I, am I going to do that? Or am I going to have wine with everybody here tonight? Right. And I was so uncomfortable and I was so in my head and I was Mm -hmm. so judgy by the way of everybody. (laughs) I was in my head that fast. Yeah. And I was like, I got to get out of here. So I left, came home, sat on the couch with my husband. I said, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink for eight weeks. And of course he was like, oh, okay. See how that goes. Right. Because he'd heard things well, like because, that before. Yeah. How, how did it go before? How yeah. did it always go? Yeah. <laughs> and so then that was the beginning. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but that was the beginning. 
And once I started feeling so good in the mornings and doing these creative endeavors in the morning and seeing how it felt different, Mm -hmm. how energized I was, how much time I had, like it just fueled me. I loved it. I loved it. And you probably quickly started gathering tools, you know, like, okay, okay, because that can take you pretty far, but it can only take you so far, Mm -hmm. you know, until you're put into challenging situations or you just don't feel good and you want to change it immediately, you know, on and on. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. And... So you're, you felt like your, your creative activities in the morning just kind of carried you through. Yeah. It, it, um, it was like a jumping off point for the day. Mm -hmm. And then I started having all this time on my hands, like to, what am I going to do with myself? What am I going to, how, how am I going to fill my time? So was this when you're, when you started thinking about going back to school? Yeah. So I started going, thinking about that. So I got, so that was February 3rd is when I stopped drinking. And by March, I realized I needed something else, something else. You needed something to fill that time. Mm -hmm. And I worked part-time, but I needed, I needed more. I needed something else. So I realized that one of my biggest regrets in my life was that I never finished college Mm -hmm. and that I quit when I got that D. And so for me, the administrative red tape that I would have to go through uh, when I pulled out all my old files, I, I looked and I was like, I attempted to go back to college two other times, but had forgot mm-hmm. had forgotten about that. Right. I had all the paperwork and and that something about the administrative part, which I'm a former legal secretary that for 15 years I know how to do paperwork, I know how to get mm-hmm. stuff done, and but for some reason it just stopped me getting my transcripts, figuring out how to get them going physically to the college, like all those things were these baby Everything's steps. overwhelming when yeah. you're drinking. I yeah. know. And mm-hmm. so I just mapped it out and I did one little tiny thing every day towards getting something done, whether it was just even to figure out how to drive to the college, to figure out where the office was. I did all these things separately because I was too afraid to go in and ask any questions, which I sound so silly when I say it right now, but that's just, that's just how it was. I was just mm-hmm. too fearful. And when I went in there and talked to a counselor finally, and they asked like, well, what do you want your major to be? And I said, art. And he, of course, they're like, okay. And they check a box. But I went out in the parking lot and I sobbed. Oh, yeah. Because you were finally choosing yourself. Yeah. 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 I love that. That was, um, and that started filling me up in a way that nothing else had. And going to those art classes and having to take other classes that I didn't think I loved, everything I could see through this lens of sobriety, you know, taking a, taking an English class I wrote about, you know, the effects of alcohol on the modern woman. Um, in my speech class, I gave speeches about it. I kind of brought my sobriety into everything. And I'm like the oldest person in the room next to the professor usually. <laughs> and most of the times I was older than several the professor. of my professors. <laughs> um, so... But I didn't let that stop me. It was uncomfortable, but now I'm in a groove. I'm almost done with my second year and I'm taking it slow. Love so it's it. probably going to take me a while to finish just my AA. But mm-hmm. it is the thing that I am super excited about. I love it. I love every part of it. 
that's uh, I love that you're doing that and I love that you love it. Do you uh, do you have a goal for it or do you just are you just going to keep going until you think okay, I think I'm done with school now? I don't know. I you know, I declared art as the major and then I kind of toyed around with graphic the graphic design program, but mm-hmm. I am not excited about being on a computer more than I have to be. Uh, I think I like you should be excited about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I want to make with my hands. So that was, I kind of had toyed around with graphic design. Um, so no. So I guess that to answer your question, I don't really have an end game. I do, wouldn't mind thinking about teaching art. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I guess I just have to see what's out there. Like next semester in the fall, I'm looking forward, I'm going to take screen printing mm-hmm. and printmaking, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think I'll probably morph and change of what I want to do, but I think that art will be the, will be the, 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 the basis for, for what I do. Right. Right. I, um, you're not going to future trip school and that's, that's, that's <laughs> right. good. That's good because yeah, you don't know, you don't know. There could be a come, there could come a point where you feel like, okay, I've had enough, uh, taking in content and now I'm going to, you know, although you are very, very good at sharing what you are, what you are doing and what you're making, but yeah, there may be something where you internally know that you've come to a stopping point, but, um, I mean, God, it's just so talk about doing something that's completely enriching your life. That's, yeah. It's, uh, I'm it's great. Pretty it's jealous. Also, it's, <laughs> I, it's also, I, I think, good to show my son. I, I thought about that, too, when I went back, that I can finish and that you can do something later and that um, you're proud of it. And I want him to be proud of me. And I, um, I don't know that I thought about that so much when I was drinking. because Oh, um, no. Yeah. There's a lot of things I did that he, I know because of his age, he won't remember a lot of that, but I will. You know, so mm-hmm. in a way, I do these things now to kind of, well, I can't make up for it, I can just no. choose another way. And that's what I do every day now. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody said to me a long time ago, like, um, it was before I had even reached a year of sobriety, I think, but it was in one of the fo- forums I was in and it was a mom talking about, or it was a couple of moms in a conversation about that. And, um, somebody said, uh, we just modeled the solution and I loved Mm. that, you know, because I mean, that is something that we have to embrace that there is a solution for everything that we're in and it doesn't ever have to be alcohol and without even, you know, without even going completely into the whole why behind it you know just that there is a solution to anything in life there's a there's a there's a solution if you're feeling unsatisfied with your life there's a solution for that you can choose to do something else something that enriches your life and so on I like that yeah yeah well um so obviously you probably I'm just gonna assume that you feel like your creativity has changed um, since you've stopped drinking, probably in many ways that, that mind changed probably many of the same ways. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have, can you elaborate on that idea? Yeah. I, 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 I was thinking about when I, um, I have time to foster my creativity now. I didn't right. have time for that before. 
even mm-hmm. when I was doing those menus and dinner parties and picking flowers from my garden for the centerpiece or it was all rushed. It was all, it was, it, there wasn't any genuine kind of intention behind it. And now mm-hmm. I feel I have way more time to foster it, to think about it, to do it with a purpose. Uh, one thing I did want to share was that when I, when I got sober, um, I did so for seven months um, outside of the rooms. I did not go to AA. And it was after I read Sarah Heppel's book that I, the, the, the idea of AA popped up in my mind. And when I started going to the meetings, um, I was seven months and one day sober. And I would the thing that would keep me in my seat was I would take a little journal with me and I would take a pen, uh, just one pen, <laughs> and I would sit there and draw these tick marks and draw these lines and draw circles. Mm-hmm. And it would keep me in my seat so that I could hear what everybody was saying. If I didn't have that journal and that pen, I think I would have bolted. Right. Uh, it kind of kept your around. anxiety at bay. It did. It calmed me down. And it. I could write down things that people were saying. I could make art from um, words and phrases that I heard that sounded good to me, that spoke to me. And then I started looking forward to that practice. Mm-hmm. So that was the morning because I went to the 7 a.m. meeting. It was like the first thing in the morning. That's how I would kickstart my day. I'd look forward. I think I look forward more to drawing in the beginning of going, I'm mm-hmm. going to have one whole hour to sit there. Mm-hmm. and do this thing, this meditative tick mark, while I'm getting this wisdom in the room. Right, and right. So that was, that, was, um, that was a way that, that started my, my journaling, was in those rooms. When did you start combining gratitude and journaling together? Um, so in December of 2015, so before I was a year, my, my sponsor had uh, suggested that I write a 30-item gratitude list every day for 30 days, which I thought was ridiculous. And (laughs) I thought that was impossible. How could you possibly find 30 things to be grateful for? So I did it in a list format, but I wasn't excited by the list. I wasn't excited about writing the list. I felt like someone was telling me what to do, which she was, um, suggesting that I do it. Um, So to make it more interesting for me, I think about a month later, after I did the 30 days, after the 30 days, I kind of liked the practice. But I wanted to draw and, and incorporate the whole thing. The drawing that I did every morning at the 7 a.m. meetings and the gratitude lists. Mm-hmm. So that's when I kind of combined them was at the beginning, uh, right before my year uh, of sobriety is when I combined those two. I Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, like you have a thing now that's sort of something that you, you know, if anybody follows you on Instagram or reads your blog, they know that that's something that you do. And um, they're just so, they're so cool. They're so mm. beautiful. Just because, I mean, obviously, the the art element of it um, makes it beautiful to look at. But then there's just so much meaning in the, in the you know, words. So much meaning, meaning in each piece. Um, I just, they're just, I just love them. Thank you. Yeah, they, they became a labor of love for sure. So on January 1st of that year of 2016, you know, here I like all these kind of self-imposed projects. I decided I would do an illustrated gratitude list for the entire year. And is that when you started sharing them? Yeah, sporadically. I wasn't confident enough to share them. I think it wasn't until after you and I um, 
and a few of our other friends, we started the gratitude circle. That was April 1st of 2016. And from there I got some confidence and there I could see what other people were grateful for, which really enriched and helped my practice, which I think is so important. I mean, it's good to keep a list and to be grateful for things certainly, but, um, kind of seeing what other people uh, were grateful for in their lives kind of helped my practice and helped me kind of dig a little deeper into what I could be grateful for the good and the bad things that were going on in my life and illustrating yeah. them again, that just satisfied a visually for me and for my hands to keep them busy in that practice that I'd already started in the mornings. It kind of just, all of it was coming together. All of these, you know, these lists were helping to keep me sober. These lists were, I was being supported by other women in recovery. These lists were having me try new things on a, on a piece of paper that maybe I wouldn't have tried before. I would have just thought about. So Mm -hmm. yeah, they're a very important part of my recovery. Yeah. Like there's all sorts of benefits from, from, you know, from both things from a doing the practice and then B sharing the practice Mm -hmm. because yeah, yeah you're keep yourself accountable and yeah, you, you, you get feedback, it, you know, creates conversation mm-hmm. and then community. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. so, so many benefits, so many things have come from it. Yeah. I love that. Well, um, I want to ask a question that, and the reason why I want to ask this is because this is something you so often hear. And this is something that I thought this was an old story that I kept, um, forever uh that you know that there was a space between um when I would first start drinking you know any given evening afternoon whatever time of day it was and um and before I got you know really really drunk where my words were illegible but there was some kind of space there that I thought was magical mm. and that's when my my best creation you know could take place during this this space mm-hmm. and um I chased that space just about every day <laughs> and um who knows how long it lasted in reality a and B, where did anything really good ever come from it? I don't really know. I don't think so. Um, but yet I continued to chase that space. Yeah. And um, you know, just sort of the the Hemingway idea um that you write drunk and edit sober, which I I've actually heard like recently that he did actually didn't say that, but <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah. Um do you ever feel like alcohol did anything positive for your creativity and and you know do you do you miss anything about that do you do you romanticize that at all ever uh I don't I don't think so I don't think I romanticize it I the the thing for that was that I would wake up every night and write Mm -hmm. so I don't miss that because there were so many other things that were that felt horrible about that for me but I do feel like it's when I felt brave enough to right. put something out into the world the inhibitions mm-hmm. sort of fall away yeah yeah and I would write sometimes if I was just drinking and writing the night before I I would write a bunch and then the next day you would edit sober and mm-hmm. uh, I would think 
why would I even say that? Or I would think, God, that's brilliant. So there was a little right, tiny, tiny, right. tiny element her to her brazen and just telling it like it is. I know. But I was mm-hmm. too afraid of those, you know, when I'd have those moments, like, I'm not, why would everybody think? I worried so much what everybody thought on my blog. I had like three readers on my blog, I think. Okay. <laughs> so I was writing this under... Uh, another name, you know, I called it Sonoma Coast Weekly. I did it so, I mean, people who live around here know me, but nobody else knew me. Right. Nobody was reading it. I was just depositing things there for safekeeping and to kind of, uh, as like a, like a scrapbook of sorts, you know, a digital kind of way to look back at my life. Mm-hmm. I wasn't putting it out there because I was too afraid to. So every t- so writing caused me such anxiety, mm-hmm. crippling anxiety. And when I would hit post, I would freak out. And then I would walk away. <laughs> and then I would have that feeling for a while. I'm like, nobody's reading this. Nobody cares. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I would do that. And it caused such anxiety that I think when I started writing from a place of having a blog under my own name and not writing about my family anymore and just writing about my own story. Mm-hmm. That was really a relief. But while I was drinking, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I was super brilliant during those times or that I had that flash. I just had the bravery. I think, I think I had the, something was stripped away that let, let me push post, you know, right. that I don't know if I would have done if I hadn't had alcohol in my system. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I had a we we didn't talk about this in my interview, but I had a blog for a while before um, I got sober, and it was called Always Never Age Appropriate. <laughs> and um, and yeah, I really I would write most of those after a couple of glasses of wine, but before you know, but while I could still prop myself up and mm-hmm. and write on the computer, and yeah, there was some. When I would go back and read them, I would think like, that's brilliant. You know, like I would say sort of these just cynical, clever, you know, maybe even shocking things that I didn't think I could say Mm -hmm. um, if I wasn't in that sort of slightly inebriated place. But yeah, given some time, it turns out I can still say those things. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) I had to find that, uh, that voice, which is way more authentic really yeah. than, you know, than the, the, the other, the pretend voice that I sort of had to prop up with a couple of glasses of wine. Yeah. 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 That's, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, it's an important because of the, I think the positive aspects are just so many and we can and will go on and on about it. But there is that, that little thing there, you know, um, that it was the reason why we did it, you know? Um, and so I was wondering if there was anything about it that you, that you kind of thought, yeah, that worked, that, that one little part worked, that one little slice of it worked for a minute. And I, okay. So you just made me think of something, the brave part that I talk about, which I'm not even sure if that's bravery, but just that when I was, so 2014 was when I was drinking a lot, but the, in the, the December of 2013, I signed up for, to go to a writing retreat, uh, called, uh, write Dobe. Mm-hmm. And I did that while I was drinking. I 
bravely, quote unquote, (laughs) signed up without telling my husband, paid the fee without telling my husband. And then I had to tell my husband. And like he would care. I made up this whole thing in my head, but I took this moment to listen to the voice inside me like, I want to go do this thing. I want to go write. I want to go meet these writers that are going to be teaching at this workshop. I want to go away. I want to try this. And so I did. And that was April of 2014 when I went. That started the shift of listening to my creative voice. So I'm happy I did some of those things when I was drinking, like when I would would go out of my comfort zone. Like the next day I wanted to cancel it. And I almost mm-hmm. canceled it like, you know, a dozen times. And I'm really glad I didn't. I'm really glad that I listened to that little tiny thing inside of me and mm-hmm. that said, you want to, well, so I go to the writing conference and I realize I don't want to maybe write. I want to draw. Mm. I'm going to start doing these things. Like I, I, I like writing. It just causes me, uh, the amount of anxiety that it causes me wasn't worth it. Right. So, but it did open you up to other possibility. Yeah. 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 So I think doing some of those things when I was drinking was like, Oh, I listened I guess I'm glad I listened to those things because they were there. They were, um, they were trying to get out. And so I think sometimes I could only hear them when I was drinking. I could, I could kind of daydream and get into this space where I could, I could do that. I could make that. I could, you know, so I think that I, I, but now in sobriety, I think that too, uh, tenfold. Right. But so, so I guess I don't miss it in the sense that I get to do it now and do it honestly and with a lot of intention and verve and kind of just let's do this thing but back then I think I'm at least I'm glad for that that I at least there was this tiny little voice still still talking to me about um listening to myself mm-hmm. yeah I like that that's a that's a really that's a really good point you were it maybe it allowed you to hear that voice that had been stifled but then mm-hmm you know, you had to get sober to hear it loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like on a megaphone. Yeah. (laughs) With you. (laughs) On a microphone with you. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Well, um, so, so, okay. So I know that you, we've talked about a few of your, you know, daily projects I know you have weekly projects. You do a lovely, lovely Ray of Light um, series on your blog that you started at the beginning of the year that you're doing once a week where you tell a story of an interview, um, a woman that you have met in sobriety and you beautifully illustrate a photo of, of the subject. And they're just so, they're so lovely. They're so beautiful. Um, and so you do that and you do your daily, um, gratitude practice and you often post to that. Is there, is there something, is there something, another project that you have on the horizon? Is there something you're going to start working on or that you haven't tried yet and you want to start working on? Uh, I am about to start a new project, but I, I want to say like these, my motivation for doing these gratitude lists or, or posting them or uh, the Ray of Light series and posting them is to keep me completely accountable right. to my creative um, practice right. because the weeks get full 
and you could Mm -hmm. put it off and it could seem like it's not important. So like when I make my lists for the week, I have a, like an errand to do list, like things for home and things that just are things need to get done. Then I have a creative to do list, which sounds like not very creative, but it just keeps me like all the projects that are, are in the works. And then I have like a homework list. So I have these three different lists that are always kind of present in my mind. And so doing the weekly practice of the Ray of Light series this year has been a way for me to try to stretch myself a little bit because I'm not, I get nervous to write. So I thought, well, if I could send these questions and maybe these other people could tell part of their story, it's not me completely writing the whole thing. True. Um, Yeah. It could also, I feel really strongly about recovering out loud and sharing what it looks like. Sobriety, nobody, you know, when I was initially starting to, to think about getting sober, like there wasn't people talking about it until I went down a rabbit hole of a hashtag with um, a friend on Instagram who connected me with Laura McCowan and Holly Whitaker of Hip Sobriety. Those people, that was like brand new. And so to be another woman who can talk about that or share other women's stories, that's really exciting to me mm-hmm. and have to do it every week not have to, 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 to do it every week is a, well, you made a commitment. Yeah. 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 So that really is helpful. But the next, the next thing I'm going to work on is a, um, there's an artist that I really like named L Luna and Mm -hmm. she wrote the book, the crossroads between should and must and must. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And she's doing this 100 day project. I think this is the fourth year that they've done it free project. Anybody can do it. They're doing it all around the world. Um, it started at Harvard with a professor, uh, a designer uh, and professor there. I can't remember his name right now. And you just create a project and then you commit to it for a hundred days and you're going to share it every single day on Instagram. And so I need to get some artwork done for a couple of, uh, a book project idea I have. And then another book project I'm working on with Holly from hip sobriety and I need art. I need illustrations for that. And I need to produce a lot of, a lot of illustrations. And so I'm going to work on that project every day and share one of the things that I've done that day. I'm going to try to do more than that, but that'll keep me accountable for a hundred days so I can try to produce some work. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like double, triple motivation. (laughs) Right. Right. So I, I'm going to stop doing the illustrated gratitude lists. Uh, oh, they've, wow. served, they've served a really good, I've done them now for like a year and three months and mm-hmm. uh, they brought me a, a lot of joy, but I think so now you're going to shift your attention to your hundred day project. Yeah, I think I need to. I, th- I was thinking last week when I was, there was so many things to get done and I was up late getting these things done, which I like, which is good. But I realized there was no balance. And yeah, there's not. There's only so many minutes in a day. Yeah, and if I keep doing these self-imposed assignments, that's great. But then you're adding yet another self-imposed assignment. Right. Which, again, I like it if I assign it to myself. I don't like others to assign that to me. <laughs> but if I assign it to myself. But I realize I can still do my list with my gratitude circle. And I can shift that up. And maybe in the way that I share, too. Because... To type out a list is different than for me to illustrate a list. I can say more. Um, Mm -hmm. I can dig a little deeper. And since I know the women now a lot better, you know, since Mm -hmm. it's been this year, I can share in a different way. So I think I was ready to like let that part go. And I don't know. I'm just excited. I I love, I love uh, that I'm coming up with these things and that I'm actually doing them. Yeah. You're coming up with them and doing them, but you're not afraid to, um, shift and change, you know, evolve. And, you know, if something 
if you want to add something or something stops working, you're not afraid to try something else. I think that just says a lot so much about um, everything and especially about, you know, emotional sobriety and mm. and, you know, growing in recovery. Yeah. Don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you can give yourself permission, right? That's like a big mm-hmm. thing to do and uh, to listen. Yeah, I, I wouldn't have, if I was still drinking, like none of this would be. None of these creative, I would have stopped it at day seven or day, probably day three, actually. I couldn't have mm-hmm. sustained, you know, it wasn't sustainable when I was drinking because there was no time. And I'd be running late to everything and I would be hungover and I would be full of shame and in a different space because when you're drinking and you're also thinking about moderating while you're drinking or at least I was towards the end oh it just can it takes so much it would rent yeah 98 percent of my brain (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and procrastination all of those things were at an all-time high so there wasn't a lot of space um for making and doing and following through and now there's yeah that that space is open that rental space is opened up (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm filling it in with other really things that just thrill me like this like doing this with you I love it that's probably even a good place to end our interview I love it is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that I missed Um, I don't think so no I think we covered a lot okay thanks for all the thoughtful questions I appreciate that you're welcome. I'm learning how we're, we're going to learn how to do this and do it well. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's part of it too, right? We're just starting. We're just going to do this. We're not going to overthink it too much. We're going to be thoughtful and professional as we can, but we're going to, we're going to learn in this creative process of putting this out into the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, it's time for our favorite little, or my favorite at least, um, the toolbox items, our three toolbox items that we're going to share at the end of every show. Yeah. What's more creative for, oh, awesome. Want me to start? Yeah. I want you to go first. All right. So this will be the part of the show where we share either something that's in our creativity um, toolbox or our sobriety toolbox. And And sometimes those things are the same. Yeah. One the same. Right. Yeah. I want to share as my first item, um, I've been listening to The Good Life Project with Jonathan Fields. Mm-hmm. And he just did a pod that I know you listened to, Sandra. Um, it was March 23rd. He doesn't number his episodes, or not that I could tell. And um, it is on March 23rd, and it's called Don't Just Ship It. And that show is short. Sometimes they can be long, his interviews. But this one, I think, is like, I don't know, 13 minutes or so. And he just talks about, you know, don't wait for it to be perfect. Don't wait for it to be like this pod, don't wait for it to be the absolute perfect thing. Just, just ship it. Just get it out there. Just do the first incarnation of it. Just start. <laughs> and so when I listened to that, I think I texted you. I'm like, you've got to listen to this. And you can get to where it's the perfection. I think he used the Hamilton analogy, how they did the play and it's just so wonderful. And the final product is this beautiful thing. But where he started when he was writing his first little song for the show, it took him a long time. Mm-hmm. But if he didn't just put it out there, right, and talk to his friends and get funding and do all that, he wouldn't end up with Hamilton as it is. And while I'm not comparing our podcast to Hamilton, I will say that we've been Someday talking about this. we are going to compare it to Hamilton, <laughs> all i got to say. We started talking about this nine months ago. 
and taking notes and doing research and talking about, you know, all these different aspects. And so that episode just kind of came at the right time when we were about ready to put this podcast out into the world. And it's, it's, it was great and it was inspirational. And so that's my thing this week. Don't just ship it is what the title of it is. I love it. I love it. Yes, I enjoyed that little, I, it's a short little podcast. I enjoyed it too. I've ruminated on it a lot, which in the, since I've listened to it. So that means that, yeah, it, it struck, it hit a nerve. Um, okay. Well, the first, my first one is, um, so uh, I didn't have, I mentioned that I didn't have a super exciting weekend and it was it was just, it was lovely. You know, there were chores, there were things. I, I was actually in my studio a lot this weekend. And so that was good. But on Sundays, my kids do, um, a lot of improv. And that is something that, um, you know, when they started, I, I actually was not sober when they started. My son's almost been doing it for eight years. Um, the times that he did it though, were, different than they are now. They were during the week and, um, they were something that I could handle in the beginning, but now they do improv on Sundays. And I'm convinced the only reason that I've said yes to our Sundays being consumed by improv is because of sobriety, Mm -hmm. because Sundays were just a big drinking day for me. And, um, so it's just, I, enjoy the hell out of it and um I and then I get to watch them perform usually on a Sunday um sometimes they don't perform but often they do and last night was a big night for my son it was a whole teen improv night and um he you know I got to watch him perform and he's so funny Mm -hmm. every all of the kids were so funny and um yeah, I just got lost in it, but it's it's also never lost on me that they would probably not that I'm the way that they can pursue this mm. this thing that they love to do, and um and they they wouldn't be doing it they wouldn't they wouldn't be pursuing it to this extent if it wasn't for sobriety. So mm. anyway, that's that. that's a big one, big 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 one. And I got to see Chloe in her troop. Mm-hmm. What is her troop's name again? Popcorn Banana Pants. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got to see them when we were in Austin uh, last November, and it was, felt like such a privilege that you would invite us to go and see your children. And I know I didn't get to see Max, but I just I loved it. And yeah. you're right. And you're right. You would be busy at home doing other stuff on a Sunday that, that wouldn't allow them that space or that time or that that way to get Mm-mm. there. So, nope. Good job, mom. Yeah, thanks. I like that. Okay, what's your next one? Um, my next one is <clears throat> sounds kind of silly, but for sobriety, I you know you, you got to have something to drink. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for, for for people who drink like an all or nothing like me, uh, I drink a lot of whatever I drink. So um, I've found a lot of people like La Croix, right? Mm-hmm. They, they love them. Um, I don't love. I'll drink it, but I don't love it. So what I found that I love is the little slender, slim cans of Perrier sparkling mineral water. Have, I've had those, uh-huh. And they say they have flavoring, although I can't ever taste the flavoring. It's just bubbly water, no sugar, no anything. Mm-hmm. And they're in those slender cans, so I don't waste. What I find mm-hmm. with the La Croix is that they get hot, 
and I don't drink them all. And then you don't, right. Even mm-hmm. though I drink fast, I don't drink fast enough, apparently, um, of water. And so I love these little slender cans, and my now my husband and son drink them all the time. And, uh, yeah, so that's like my little my little drink of the moment. I love that. I yeah. think I, I just passed by those and went for the Topo Chico's yesterday instead, which, you know, oh. we could do a whole podcast on Topo Chico's, but we won't. <laughs> um, anyway, okay, uh, if you have not thing? enjoyed a Topo Chico, you must get one. Mm-hmm. That's going to make me just come uh, back to Austin, so don't worry. I'll yeah, be back. I'll you're going to have back. to come back and have Topos and tacos. Um Okay, so my next one is on uh, Saturday. It stormed. We had a huge storm come through. Like there were tornado tornado type winds in certain parts of of Austin. It was kind of crazy. It was fun to watch it roll in. I have a little seat by the window that um, I kind of just made. Like in the last year, it has. I haven't always had a chair right by the window. and I do now, and it's lovely. And I worked on um, some embroidery pieces, and it's just the the nicest rainy day activity. It's meditative. Um, and then with the storm coming in, and I had my coffee. It was just was just awesome. Mm-hmm. I could have sat there the entire weekend in that spot, and and worked on embroidery. Needlework, handiwork. Mm-hmm. I love doing. I can. That those are those are my meditations. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm not so good at sitting down and doing nothing with my hands for five minutes, but I can do that for an hour, and it's very meditative. I like that. You know, that's yeah. not meditative for me, but I like that it's meditative for you. <laughs> good for you, not good for me. That's fine, right? <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, my last thing is, uh, I realized yesterday when I got home from the weekend that like, like we're, we're going to be, I don't podcasting on Mondays and I have to get up and be ready to go by 7am my time. And so last week, I think we did a lot of stuff associated with the show. And so my week kind of spun out because it was all this new creative stuff going on and, and trying to keep track of everything else and schoolwork and home life. And I realized my family wasn't getting fed (laughs) and I needed to center myself. So I've been following this gal on Instagram and I love, love her blog. It is visually beautiful and interesting and image rich because she loves photography but her name is tracy and she, her instagram handle is shutterbean b-e-a-n mm-hmm. and she puts out a little weekly newsletter with what her week was like and so she is just super inspiring in terms of uh for me she loves hand lettering she loves writing letters she loves food and photography and sparkly things and art So I get a whole bunch of inspiration from her and she does a whole thing on her meal prep. She meal preps every Sunday. And so I felt like inspired by it, even though I had no food in the house last night and the family did not get dinner, by the way. But I felt like I could start, I went on her blog, I pulled off some ideas, I made a menu for the week like she does, just loose, not not tons of ingredients, just like what are we going to have each night and had a plan and asked for help, which in recovery, I'm learning that I need to ask for help, which is really hard for a lot of us. Oh, it's, so, the, it's the hardest. Yeah. I went out to my husband. I said, can you make dinner on this night and this night if I get all the stuff? 
And can you make juice tomorrow? Can you juice for our family? I've cut up all the vegetables. So he, while we've been podcasting, he brought me out this beautiful beet juice. Um, he did that very quietly. And <laughs> so her blog and, and her Instagram, I know she does a lot of stories, but sometimes it's like a ton of stories. But I visually am um, drawn to what she's putting out there. And it's kind of inspiring me to like, get a new routine for the week. So we'll see how this nice. week goes. I, I'll let you know next week if I, I succeed. I can't <laughs> wait to hear how it goes. I have I have tried and failed several times with the with the meal prepping and planning and all of that. And um, yeah, so anyway. I like it in theory, so we'll see what happens. I like it in theory. <laughs> I like it in theory as well. So I, I can't wait to hear how it goes. <laughs> and what is your third? Okay, well, my last one, this could be, this will be an ongoing one. I I have a feeling. Um, I, my uh, m- mom moved uh, from a house um, that she and my dad had lived in for s- several years. It was actually their third move. Um, but every time they moved, they brought all their stuff with them. So we're talking, you know, 70 something years of stuff. And, um, she moved to a small apartment and, um, she shed all of the stuff, things that I didn't think she'd ever get rid of. And, um, one of the things that she gave me were three, plastic bins with lids, the big ones, full of photos, full. And some of them date back to uh, the 1800s. Not kidding. And these are like, these are people that I'm related to. And um, so uh, two of them are just still kind of sitting by the door. I haven't even opened them. But one of them I have right next to the chair that I was, the comfy chair by the window that I was talking to, mm-hmm. talking, talking about. And um, so when I have a minute here and there, I will kind of dig through this bin of photos. And I'm trying to get them, I don't think organized is the the first goal actually I'm trying to just even just get them in sort of piles Mm -hmm. and kind of get I mean there's a lot of stuff in here there's like negatives and the remember the little paper envelopes and uh, you know all this stuff and so I'm kind of just sort of going through it and getting rid of stuff but it you can get lost you know once you start like looking through them all um it's fascinating even though I don't even know who 80% of these people are, um, you know, it's just, just looking at the, at the little snapshots of a different time and place. Most of them were taken in the deep South, like Alabama, Georgia, that area and, um, Mississippi. And, um, they're just, they're fascinating. I could get lost. And there's more to this whole thing that I will talk about someday it's like one of those um 10-year goal projects that I have okay. <laughs> not kidding um <laughs> but uh but it has but these pictures will sort of tie into that into that into this project that I'm working on so that's fun oh, it's just I one of those it. yeah yeah it's you, one of those you just things where you you start questioning like where do I come from you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> really 
Yeah. Oh, well, keep us posted on that because you just made me think of, I was listening to the hundred day project that I'm going to do. And they were talking about a photographer that the hundred day project was that they had a photo. I don't know. I'm sure they took it, but they had a photo and they wrote a haiku every day. Oh, neat. That's cool. For what that image said or spoke or the story that it was telling. So Uh you just made me think about that. Like, you don't have to write an essay or a long story for this project. It was just for the hundred day project was like to just make something every day. And so they attached a haiku or someone did. Oh, that's good. A haiku. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say right there. I'll just put that out Hmm. there. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think we've just chatted away, Sandra. I think we did it. Hmm. Thank you. Thanks for interviewing me and letting people know a little bit more about us. Um, over these last two interviews, I wanted to say we should probably say what our blogs are and so that people can find us. Oh, yeah. So I'm at um, theunruffled.com. No spaces or dashes or anything. Just that. Yeah. And I'm at tammysalas.com. T-A-M-M-I-S-A-L-A-S.com. And the same on Instagram for me. Uh, uh, yeah. Instagram <laughs> is uh, Sandra... Um, uh, what's the lower underscore. dash underscore. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Underscore, uh, unruffled. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought maybe we should have said that and let people know where they can, find but there's us. links, there's links yeah. to, um, all that stuff on my blog. Good. Websites. Okay. Yeah. All right, friend. I'll okay. Talk to you later. <laughs> all right. Have a wonderful week. Yeah. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Vickery. Thanks for listening.